Imagine with me a scenario where you are all alone. Like, there's no one else around. No one's bothering you. It's just you and, like, your thoughts or Netflix or a cup of tea or a book or something. It's just you all, all by yourself. Imagine how that feels and, and what, that, what that's like. Is that, is that a good thing? Some of you are more introverted. You're like, yes, that sounds awesome. <laughs> Except you're introverted, so you're like, yay. Maybe not, not quite so enthusiastic. But, and then some of you are more extroverted. This sounds painful to you. It sounds like hell being off by yourself like that for a long time. You're like, oh, who would I tell all of my thoughts to? I have things I want to say and verbalize, and I need someone to share all that with, right? So, like, that's maybe how that would sit with you, is I need to get, get the word out, right? Or some of you who have small children are probably like, what is this magical, mystical place you mean where I'm all alone and no one bothers me and talks to me? It's like a unicorn. Like, does this, does this really exist, right? Like some of you are kind of in, in that world right now. I would argue that long term, you cannot really be by yourself like that and be happy. Like, you can recharge your batteries, and that's good. And you can have a, a, a nice moment or an hour or an afternoon. But long term, being by yourself... Uh, like that, is, is not going to lead to happiness. We're actually not designed that way. And this isn't just me arguing this. This is what, what science tells us about the way the body is made, what the scripture teaches us and philosophy would teach us about uh, connection and, w- and what it means to be connected. Um, if you think back, let me, let me just show you this biblically very quickly. If you think back to the uh, the, the beginning of, of the Bible in Genesis, you, you see the story of creation, how God has created the earth, and, and he's made everything on earth, and it's wonderful. It's really a great place to be. It's paradise, and, and he puts at the crown jewel of his creation, he creates a, a human. He creates man, a guy named Adam, and he puts Adam in the center of this creation. He's like, you're, you're it. This is great, and Adam has a really good thing going on. He's not angsty about his coworkers. He's not worried about in-laws. He's not concerned about any sort of relational issues because he doesn't have any relationships. He has pets, which are quite nice um, animals. He could ride the horses and play with the dog and all that kind of thing. And he has waterfalls and the trees and everything's good, right? Um, but it's, it's, it's still a little, there's something not quite right about the whole scenario. In fact, it's the first thing sort of pronounced as not being okay in scripture. In, in Genesis chapter two, it says this, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And if you read on, you see that God makes Eve from Adam, and Adam and Eve come together as husband and wife, and, and this is typically told as the story of kind of the first marriage. And that's, that's great, and it is. But I, I actually think there's something bigger going on there than, than just the marriage story here. The truth is, we were not designed, we do not function well alone. We're designed to be not married, we, but we are designed to be in community with other people. God looks at the earth and says, men, women, you guys work together. You populate this whole thing, make more of you, uh, and work together as a team in community for the good of, of, of all of creation. Take care of this whole thing and do it all together. God designed it from the very beginning that we would work as a community, as a team, that we would not be alone. This is so hardwired into Christianity. It even comes before you see Genesis 2, even in the first chapter of the Bible. Um, You see this idea that God, as we conceptualize God, we say, okay, who is God? God is, in the scriptures, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So he's these three sort of persons all together as God. And there's a Greek word for their relationship. It's called perichoresis. In in there, the core part of that that word is core 
C-H-O-R, where we get choreography. So actually, the idea of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is that they are together like in a dance. It's the idea that they dance around one another, that they serve one another, that they are working together in this sort of joyous celebration. God at his core is, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is this small group, if you will, is this community, if you will. And that is the way God exists. And so it makes sense that when he designs us in his image, that we have a little piece of that, that we are designed to be in that dance, that we are designed to be uh, in a group and not just exist on our own for our own sake. This is deep into our DNA. It is not an introvert or extrovert thing. We, we are designed to need and, and to want to be in relationship with each other. Now, some people maybe need or want less of those relationships than others. Some people want many, many connections. Some people want only a few. But the reality is we are hardwired and designed for even our happiness to be uh, built up by community and by connections. Um, our bodies respond to each other in really powerful ways. I talked about it a while back, a few months ago, that, that you know, our bodies have nerve receptors that when you touch someone, you can feel the emotion that you're being touched with, and it registers in your brain. When someone is sad, you don't just notice that they're sad because they're crying. When they're sad, mirror neurons in your brain fire off as sad also. So when they're sad, you actually become a little bit sad as well as you're kind of experiencing it with them. That's why when you give someone a Kleenex when they're crying, partly it's for them, but partly it's for you. You're like, I want I want me to feel better, have this Kleenex here so that you feel better, so that I start feeling better. Like there's this, this connection that we have. You've probably noticed it. If you've, if you've ever talked on the phone to someone, not FaceTime, but talk on the phone and you like, it's someone you're like, hey, I'm waving at you. What does that person do? They wave back, right? They, which is weird because neither of you could see each other. You don't need to be doing that. But you do it because there's something in us that's just like connected and hardwired that we need each other and that we need to be uh, in a relationship with each other. Now, there's all sorts of ways you can do this. You can, all sorts of communities that you could be a part of. Some of the communities that you could enter, groups, uh, networks that you could enter, will help you be happy. Some of them might function in the opposite way, that they'll bring a lot of unhappiness um, in, in your life. But research suggests that if you want to be happy, one of the best things you could do, actually, is be in a church. It's weird, right? But you can Google that later. There's a, there's a lot on that. Uh, Daniel Gilbert, who wrote the book Stumbling on Happiness, is a Harvard psychologist. Back in 2006, he wrote this. If I had to summarize all the scientific literature on the causes of human happiness in one word, that word would be social. In other words, the strength of our social network largely determines happiness. And one thing, histor one thing that historically the church has been good at is building social networks for people, building connection for people so that they get to know each other, so that, so that you can come to a church and you can know people and be known. You can love people and be loved. You can accept people and be accepted. The church has historically been very strong at that. In fact, if you look over a lot of societies that were built with Christianity kind of in the heart of it, like uh, maybe... Some, some Western European cities and all that. If you look at like old villages, what you'll see is houses and coffee shops and all of these things, and everything is built around a town square, and usually at the heart of that town square is a church on the highest piece of land in the, in, in the town. Um, the idea was that the church was the heartbeat of the whole community, and, and it's historically always 
functioned, uh, functioned that way. Uh, the church has a great opportunity there to be community for people in a culture where we have, where people have home and they have work as their first and second places, but they don't have a great third connection place. And the church can offer that, and it, it is actually one of the key ingredients to our happiness. Now, you can see this when the church was born. I want to go back to the, the birthday of the church and show you something in Scripture. Um, for a lot of us, we have baggage about church. The church you grew up with maybe wasn't good. The church you've been a part of in your life hasn't been very good. Maybe you even walking into the birth theater today is uh, less than good feeling for you. Of sort of like, oh boy, here we go. This is church, and I don't know if I like this. And I get that. But I think to really evaluate what's happening in this room, it would also be helpful to go back and look at what it was designed to be and the heart of it. So in Acts chapter 2, it is recorded, uh, a guy named Luke wrote down the history of the early church. And what happened was Jesus died and he resurrected. And then six weeks later at a festival called Pentecost in Jerusalem, there were several dozen believers, people who were following Jesus that followed this resurrected guy. And they're praying together and the Holy Spirit comes upon them and God's Spirit descends on them and it's like this wild scene, right? And then this crowd gathers and a guy named Peter, one of the first leaders of the early church, he stands up and he preaches to the crowd and he says, hey, Jesus died, he resurrected, you need to follow after him. And what happens at the end of that speech in Acts chapter 2 is that thousands of people become Christians. So the church goes from a couple dozen people to thousands of people, like, immediately. That's incredible, unprecedented, it's very powerful, and you're sort of looking at that like, man, how did they organize all that? Well, those people got together in communities. They got together and loved and served one another. They started meeting in homes. And it records at the end of Acts chapter 2 what that new community, what that new church they wouldn't have called it a church, but what that new gathering was like. And I want you to hear it. Acts 2, we'll put verse 42 on the screen. Here's what they were doing. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. I want to break that down for you a little bit so you can, you can kind of see what's going on here. Uh, the strength of the community originally was this. Number one, they had a radical commitment to each other. They had a radical commitment commitment to each other. In the middle of that verse, you see that there's teaching, and then there's fellowship and breaking of bread, and then prayer, those four things. But right there in the middle, fellowship, breaking of bread. Um, breaking of bread can mean communion, where we take communion. We're going to do that later in the service. So they were definitely doing that together to remember Jesus just as he had taught them. But also breaking of bread can just talk about eating together. These folks were eating meals together. They were hanging out. They were fellowshipping, which is the churchy word for let's hang out. Right? So they're doing these things together. And later on, you'll see in a couple of verses, they're doing this every day. They're getting together regularly, frequently. That's an important point. It's not just the quality of the relationships that they had. It's the quantity of them. They were meeting together often, every single day. Now, when I read that, I think how unrealistic that would be in America. We don't have time to get together every day. I'm, I'm reading, I'm like, do these people have like a J-O-B? Like, how do... Don't you have, how do you have time to like hang out together every day? Why are they doing this? Well, but I think there's something powerful there in that. The reason they got together every day and they prayed together and they, they fellowship, they would eat meals together. The reason they're doing this daily is because they're living an incredibly countercultural life. They're following after someone that they claim died and came back from the dead. They're believing in paradise and heaven after they die. They're loving and serving their neighbors. They're, they're liquidating their assets and giving the money away to, to help anyone who's in need. Like they're living this life that is so different than the culture around them. I think they got together every day to remind each other that they're not crazy. 
Like, oh, you believe this too? Yeah. Oh, man, it was hard today. All right, we'll, we'll check in tomorrow. You know, like they're getting together all the time to remind each other, hey, we believe this countercultural stuff. And I would say that's no less true today. What we believe and teach in this room, what we believe about heaven, about God, about his creation, about Jesus and who he was, is even in America is, is a countercultural thing. And so we get together as a church to remind ourselves and remind each other that we're not crazy, that there are other people that actually believe these things. So you have this radical commitment to each other. You'll see later, we'll talk about it next week in Acts chapter 4. They start sharing uh, financially. They're selling land. They're giving the money away. They're taking care of people. They're doing some, this radical generosity that really flows out of their radical commitment that they have to each other. Now, what would it look like to share lives like that together today? Can we meet every day? Probably not. In some countries in the world, they are doing that right now, especially in countries where Christianity is more oppressed than it is in America, um, places like some parts of India or China. Um, But I think there's a need for us in our culture to lean into our faith communities in a deeper way. Church cannot be something that we go to, that we visit once or twice a month. They're like, oh, I just kind of go to church. Um, it needs to be something that, that is our, our community, that we belong there, that we love there, that we serve there, that we, that we know people there, and that they know us. Um, if it's going to truly transform us and then transform the city, uh, we have to be leaning into it and, and dialing in. We can't just attend it like a concert. Um, it has to be a place where we belong, where, we're, where we know and we are known. I got a chance to see the actor Tony Hale last week in an interview. I saw him live. <laughs> Last, last week. Um, you guys know who Tony Hale is? You see the picture? If you're a fan of the show Veep, I guess he's on that. Uh, if you're like me, you know him from Arrested Development, which during season one was fantastic. Everything else after that's not worth it, in my opinion. But anyway, um, really funny guy, Buster, in, in it's Arrested Development. He comes out on stage and he was interviewed and uh, he would, they asked him, uh, the interview asked him, so what, what, um, what do you feel about being famous? You know, some sort of celebrity. How, how is that? And I, his answer was so interesting. He said, um, he said, it's not, in a sense, it's not as great as you think um, because when you're famous, a lot of people know you, know who you are. He said, but all of us really, we just want to know people and be known. And you'd think being famous would be more helpful for that because more people will know you. He said, but the reality is the people that know you when you're famous are people who you're always suspicious of, that they want something from you. So you have your guard up, so it almost works against you in trying to get to know people. And, and you know, I said, oh, I feel bad for the guy, you know, whatever. But, uh, but, but, but he said, uh, the reality is um, if you are known and loved by a few people, that's all the known you need to be. If you're just known and loved by a few people, that is all the known you need to be. And I thought, man, that's, that's really true. He's, he's on to something there. We all long for this. We all want to know that we're not alone. We all want to know that someone sees us, that someone knows us, that someone hears us, that someone can walk with us. And, and we seek that out so much, and we, we settle for, like, pseudo-connection. We settle for online connection. We settle for an Instagram-like as if it's a relationship rather than real connection. And that's so badly needed um, in our culture. We need a, a radical commitment, again, to, to one another. And secondly, I think in the early church, you see, they had a radical commitment to God. It wasn't just a commitment to each other. It said the apostles' teaching 
breaking of bread, fellowship, prayer, the, the teaching and the prayer piece, when they, when they came together, they got into God's word. They, they wanted to know more about him. They wanted to know more about Jesus. They prayed together. And there's a power in all of that. This isn't, we're not just talking about social theory or group dynamics. Oh, get in a group and you're going to be fine. We're saying get in a group, but the, the fuel behind this thing is that we are all united in mission and purpose. We are all going towards God. We're all trying to know him. It's not just we're all trying to know each other and that's it. That's, a, that's good. But the real growth and transformation comes when God's power ignites us, when we pray together, when we study together, when we learn together. That's where the transformation starts to happen. And that's what you saw happening in, in the early church. They had this radical community where they're committed to each other and they're committed to God. Look at the results of that. And this is what I want us to get to. Look at verse 43, continuing on. It says this, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Listen to this. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And look at the details there of what this radical community became and what it felt like. They had, they're meeting together all the time. They have glad and generous hearts. They're praising God. They're experiencing favor of God and with people. And God is building on the thing that they have. I don't know how to describe all that, but I, I think we could put it in a nutshell. Um, they were happy. This was a happy and blessed community because of their radical commitment to each other and radical commitment to God God blessed them and it brought them some happiness so there's four main ingredients that build happiness and the first one we're talking about today is community uh, when we belong to community our happiness goes way up and it actually helps us stave off depression they've done some studies on that recently there's one at the University of Queensland they took two groups that were dealing with depression and anxiety and they put one group into groups where they're getting together in yoga classes and they're doing all this stuff together and the other group they had them a lot more isolated where they're just doing stuff on their own they found a 50% higher recovery rate of depression in the groups where people had these strong social connections literally what ails us can be cured by by God working through the bonds of community like we have some sickness, we have some struggles, and God can do something and help us to be happier when we are uh, in, in connections. Um, so how do we do that? A couple suggestions and then I'm done. Number one, I think we have to move away from digital connection into physical connection. It's funny that you know, 30 years ago we wouldn't have had to say that at all, but here we are in the world that we're in. We need to pay a lot of attention to what's going on digitally and, and what kind of connections and what real relationships actually we're having there and aren't just likes and aren't just follows and stuff, and then what are actual relationships. Um, social media can be amusing, but it's empty. Uh, and, and I see it in my own life when I'm struggling, um, when I'm struggling with whatever's going on in my life, I, I feel the urge to withdraw into social media, which is pseudo-connection, not actual connection. I want to withdraw there and get the dopamine hit that we talked about last week. Um, now, I've been accused of saying that. I've been accused, uh, we did a series on dating, and I was like, ah, Tinder, ah, you know, like all these digital things, right? I have been accused over the years of being anti-technology. Um, and I, uh, I don't think I am. There's so much technology in this room right now, and I'm a fan of it. Uh, but uh, 
um, I just think we need to pay attention there and maybe draw some lines for ourselves that the culture will not draw for us. I got a buddy in Colorado. He's trying to get me to use an app on my phone. It's uh, Bitmoji. You guys familiar with Bitmoji? He's, he's claiming I really, really need this in my life. And uh, so he's telling me about it. He's like, you got it, dude, you got it, you got it, because he sends me all these Bitmoji texts, and he's like, you got a Bitmoji. I'm like, I, why do I need, why do I have to do this? And, and it's really, apparently it's amazing, and I have to have it. I probably will, so if you see a Bitmoji for me one day, there you go. But um, I said, uh, dude, I can't do that on my phone. He's like, why not? I said, because I don't have a web browser on my phone, and I don't have the ability to install apps on my phone. I've taken all of that off. And he's like, ugh. He goes, Christians are so weird. <laughs> and he is one, so he knows what he's talking about. I was like, uh, yeah, I know, sorry. I just, it's just, it's such digital crack for me. It's such a time suck, an energy suck. I don't want something that accessible that is such a dopamine hit time suck for me. I just don't want to do it. He's like, you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I'm like, whatever, the baby can go. I don't care. We don't need any of it anymore. It's too much. I'm drawing the line here, right? Now, listen, I'm not saying you have to draw the line there. You can draw the line wherever you want. I'm just saying be thoughtful and draw a line. Like, figure out, because if you, if you just do what culture says, it's just going to keep sucking you in. It is not interested in your, your health and well-being. It's going to keep sucking you in. And you have to draw some lines for yourself. You say, hey, here and no farther. This is where this is, where this is going to stop, uh, stop for me. So get out of the digital world and into the real world around you. Lean into real relationships that are actually in the world. Like get coffee and talk to the barista. Talk to a cashier that's there. Say hi to people. Put your phone in airplane mode even when you're not on an airplane. I didn't even know that was a thing you could do. Um, I was like, oh, this is cool. I can be not reached. This is great. Um, do this. It, it, there's, there's a power to it. Now, I know when I say this, I sound like a cranky old guy who wants you to get off his lawn. Um, and I understand that. But what I want to say is, maybe we should listen to the cranky old people who want us to get off the lawn. Maybe... Just maybe, and people older than me as well, I'm just saying maybe there is some wisdom in people who have lived some years and have started to, to look at what is going on in the world and what is going on in our rapidly changing culture. Uh, just because it's new and it's here and it's now doesn't mean it's great. In fact, I'm very concerned about a, a sort of an underlying sickness in our culture. Um, there's a lot of ways to describe it, but I came across this word the other day that I thought, oh, that's, that's America. That's perfect. Um, it was from the book uh, The Happiness Hypothesis by Jonathan Haidt, and he quotes uh, social psychologist from France, Emile Durkheim, and Durkheim used this term, uh, and the word is anomie, and I'll put it up on the screen, anomie, not to be confused with anime, which is this other thing, because uh, that's what everyone thinks, anime, no, Anime, by definition, is this, anime is lack of the usual social or ethical standards in an individual or group. But if we're going to break that down, anime is this feeling or this sense that we have in society that there is no agreed upon standards or norms or morals or values or ethics or anything or, or purpose. So it is a, anime is a rootlessness. It is a normlessness. There is no norm that we ascribe to. We all believe something different and it's all, you know, and, and, and when you have that in culture, you see a rise in violence and depression when you have a high sense of anime, because we have, and particularly in America, you have the freedom to do whatever you want to do and nobody can find anything worth doing. 
you, you're seeing that in people graduating college, getting into the working world, and like, man, I'm the most educated, well-connected society in the history of ever, and I can't find anything worthwhile to do. You see that in the church. People are saying, I want God to use me. I'm ready. God, whatever you want. I just have no idea what he wants. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. I have no idea what God's purpose is for my life. We're suffering from enemy. We're suffering from a rootlessness, a normlessness. We have no agreed upon standard of what am I actually trying to do here in, in the world. And this is why we need a, a strong church. Because when the enemy rises, we slide into depression. I'm going to talk more about depression, mental health, mental health and, and illness. That's a real thing, and we need to talk about that. We'll talk about it more in two weeks. Um, but I think we need a strong church to bring roots to the rootless, to bring norms to the normless, to, to bring happiness to a, to a culture that has all the freedom to be happy, but none of the know-how to even, to even get there. So we need to move away from digital connection to physical connection in the, in the real world. And then I think we need to get radical again in our commitment to God and in our commitment to each other. We need to be a community that cares for each other, that bears one another's burdens, that gets in groups to, to meet. I, I've heard so many good things from our small groups. We have small groups meeting for the semester up till May. And I've heard so many good things from a lot of these groups of the relationships that are being built there and the connections that are being made there. A lot of these groups are going to keep meeting. They're like, oh, let's meet again over the summer. Let's meet again in the fall. Like, there's some good stuff going on. If you've never joined a group here, let me suggest starting point. We're going to start up an, another round of starting point in May. And it's an eight-week group, and it's your chance to come out of the shadows Lean in and get to know some people and build a relationship there where people can know you and you can know them, where you can love them and they can love you, where you can accept them and, they, and you can be accepted. That's a great place to start as you enter the community is sign up, for, sign up for a starting point group. Now, is this a magic bullet? No, it's not. It's not the guarantee of happiness, right? I think this is a building block and a step in happiness, and I think it actually, community connections actually build serotonin in the brain, so it is related to happiness. But it's not perfect. Our small groups aren't perfect. This community isn't perfect. But I, I believe leaning in is, is, is a, a great shot at happiness that you could take. And I know this can be hard. When we talk about um, church, people kind of kick up all sorts of defenses. We were talking in our staff this week, we were reading a book together, and we were talking about why people don't like church. And if I pulled the room right now and said, why don't you like church, I could probably get plenty of answers in this room. And you guys are all in one right now. And, and so if I go outside this room, I can get even more, right? But we go, okay, why don't people like church? We started making this list, and it was like, well, people don't like church because they're scared they're going to be judged when they walk into a place. They're scared of God because he could be scary. They are scared of the relationships that could, that could form there and, and what people are going to think. They're, they're scared that if I say this, people will think I'm this, and I don't want that. They're scared that if I get involved with the church, they're going to ask for too much time for me, and I don't have time to give it. They're going to ask for money, and I don't have money to give. All of these concerns that we have about being involved in a church, it's going to be this time suck, this energy suck, this money suck, something like that, are our, our, our fears about being involved in church. And when we made this whole list of reasons why people don't go to church, I looked at the list and I was like, man, I don't know why anybody wants to be involved. Like, why would you? This sounds pretty bad. Sounds like a bad deal. And yet, there's something here. There's something to this thing that Jesus created. 
that we still celebrate in today. There's something to this community that builds something between us and in us and through us. Um, God knew what he was doing when he, when he asked us to gather in, in community, and I think there's a power to it. Um, I get that there are barriers to being involved in a small group, to leaning in, serving at the church, to being part of the church in any other way except occasionally attending on Sunday morning. I get that there are barriers. I get that there's, you know, you're in grad school and there's homework, or you're working three jobs to make the bills, or you're, you're, you're doing these school projects, or you've got these groups that you're part of, and, I, and, and it's challenging, and, and I get that there are barriers. But, but I want to encourage you to lean in anyway. And, and I, wanna, I want you to ask yourself, as you think about getting involved in the community of God, the church on earth, as you think about whether it's a small group or serving or something, I want you to ask yourself, what am I afraid of, really? I mean, I can put up reasons why I can't get involved, but is there fear inside me? Am I scared of, I'm going to be judged? Am I scared of God? Am I scared of my time going away in some way that I'm not comfortable with? What am I afraid of, really? What really keeps me dialing from dialing in? Is it possible that you being involved in the community of God could help you be more happy? And is it possible that other people knowing you will help them be more happy? Like every one of you brings something to the community and when you keep it to yourself and say, I'm not really going to let anybody know me, you are robbing the community of you. Not that you're just so star-spangled awesome, but that God has wired up something in you. And you're supposed to bring that contribution to the community. This is the way he designed it to be. That helps other people grow in their happiness, and that will help you grow in yours as you use your gifts and talents for, a, for the purpose that God has placed inside of you. So I believe there's happiness to be found in, uh, in the community where we lean in and we, and we help others. Um, and so I want to challenge you to, to, to do that if you've been in the shadows. I don't want anyone to know me. No, this is, let's, let's set that aside. Take a risk again. And let people know you, love and be loved, know, know and be known, accept and be accepted. Um, do that, and I think God will bless you, and, and will even bring about happiness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I know there are, there are plenty of people in the room that have baggage about church, about being involved, about taking the next step. There's a lot of fear. We'd rather just hang out in the shadows and, and not let others know us and not know others. But God, help us to push through that today. Whatever that fear is, that we will name it, we will own it, and then we will uh, ask, ask for your help as we push through it. God, I pray that your spirit is at work in this community as it was in the original church, that people will be changed by what they experience here, that, that you will go to work in hearts and lives. People will make courageous decisions where they follow after you boldly and strongly. They will connect to the purpose and the mission that you have for their lives, that you will knit all of our hearts together in love, that we will walk forward together as a community in you uh, for the good of each other, for the good of Richmond, for the good of the world, that we will point people towards you. God, I pray that your power is at work in people here. Um, move us, shape us, form us, uh, form our character, transform us into becoming something greater than we can ever be on our own. God, you can do it. You can do this. You have this power. Uh, unleash that on this community. Thank you, Lord, for the people who are here, who are dialed in, who are leaning in, 
May, uh, may that tribe increase of those who want to do that. Thank you, Lord, for how you've wired our brains to receive happiness. May we, may we find it in our radical commitment to you and to others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.